I wanted to talk uh, tonight. Um, I'm calling tonight's the talk. It's not a, you know, a uh, a formal talk, um, but I want to call it Maha Sangha. And Maha in Pali means great, or large, or big. And Sangha is um, community. What we are, we're a little Sangha sitting together and. The reason I'm doing that is because a couple of you know you were asking about it earlier. I've been going, this week I've been attending online the International Western Dharma Teachers Conference, which happens every four or five years, and it hasn't happened because of the pandemic. It got pushed back like a a year and a half, and it's been extraordinary. It's been um, started Wednesday, and it ends tomorrow, and there's a couple of... um, panels or speak main speakers and then there's a bunch of different talks or workshops breakouts um throughout the day it's just kind of like i want you want to do it all you want to do it all and then it's like i actually have to walk around the block because i've been sitting in the same place and um, my fitbit tells me i've walked 27 steps in the last three hours so it's like i gotta gotta move um, but it's fabulous, and it's from all different traditions. I am, my, my tradition, the one I practice and the one I teach in is insight tradition, vipassana, um, from the Thai forest tradition primarily. And for those who aren't that familiar with Buddhism, it's, there's not just Buddhism, um, there was the Buddha who taught what he taught, and then it, it, it got, it traveled throughout um, East Asia, Southeast Asia, India, um, and then it came um, to Europe and the United States. And so it's also very, um, Buddhism is very, um, the, one of the Buddha's, um, I don't want to say commands, one of the Buddha's uh, invitations to his, uh, his monks uh, and to those who came after was to teach in the vernacular. So, and, and teach so that the locals will understand, don't kind of keep it, you know, codified in, in what it was like in Northern India 2,600 years ago, make it be relevant. And so Buddhism kind of um, adapted and melded into a lot of teachings that were already in place, like in China and Japan and Southeast Asia, Thailand, Sri Lanka, Tibet, Nepal. And so there's not just one lineage of Buddhism. There's several. If you think of Christianity, you, um, Protestantism, you have Lutherans and Methodists and Episcopal, Episcopalians and Baptists and all kinds of different takes on um, the, the belief system, the Bible, and different interpretations. And that's very similar to um, Buddhism. And so it's really lovely to have all these different voices and and having some commonality and and it's lovely that you have all these dharma doors that you can enter into because some people find um you know this tradition that i'm in the 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 older text, the lineage of the elders, is like goes just the the original, what's thought to be the original teachings, and then some other uh, traditions are very rich in visuals and like Tibetan um, Zen is again a different a different flavor. Uh, Pure Land Buddhism is like the largest um, the largest sect lineage school of Buddhism in the world. And that's, again, another different interpretation. And so it was was really great. I took a class last January um, through Harvard. 
an online Harvard uh, class called Buddhism Through Its Scriptures. And I learned so much because it wasn't from learn this, do this kind of school. It was like a, here's how Buddhism spread. Here's how these folks read the scriptures. Here's their here's their writings and here's how this interprets this and it was just extraordinary if you're if you're interested um look up harvard buddhism through um its scriptures it's just a great class it's online and you can do it at your own pace um so you have all these voices from all these different lineages at this conference and they're talking about all these different things they're talking about the environment they're talking about um class wars inside of Buddhism, they're talking about faith, they're talking about uh, financials, they're talking about everything. Um, so you're getting all kinds of different perspectives on on where Buddhism is, what people are teaching, and I'm just like, I have notes and notes and notes and notes and notes and notes and notes. Um, so one of the things they were talking about, the first plenary session, was about the idea of Maha Sangha, which is this great Sangha, which is we are part of that. You know, it's so easy to be siloed, and we see that today, in, especially in the United States, um, but in Western, in, in Western countries, Western Europe, the U.S., Canada, we are siloed, and social media helps, their algorithms help to silo us and put us into our own bubbles with people who are like-minded, and so I'm in this, you know, this silo. Um, and sometimes we forget that there are all these other teachings out there. And I also have an affinity for some of the teachings, like um, the idea of the Bodhisattva is not Theravada. It's a, it's a Mahayana ideal. And the Bodhisattva is one who foregoes their um, enlightenment, their, their nirvana, in order to work for the freedom of all beings. You know, suffering is endless, I vow to end it. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them all. So you have this idea of, I'm in for the long haul and I'm going to be engaged with the world. And so there are all these other pieces that are that are really beautiful. Um, it's not like, yours sucks, mine's the best. It's not that at all, um, which we can get into, people can get into. Um, and Buddhists do get into that. It's happening right now. So don't think Buddhists are like, la, 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 we're not human beings too. No, we're human beings too and also pray to all those things. Um, greed and hatred and delusion just as anyone else's. So Maha Sangha, this idea of the great Sangha, is, is they talked about it as keeping the continuity of the, te of the Dharma teachings. It's like we are all entrusted with that as, as practitioners, as people who move through the world with this way of life. Um, and it's a community of all practitioners and all believers, which is really this beautiful, um, this invitation to um, recognize that we're Dharma siblings, that we are all siblings, that we all have these spiritual ancestors going back 2,600 years to the Buddha. We have, we're all, we're all related in that way, just as, you know, cousins and so on and so forth have um, some kind of uh, uh, a connection back in the mists of time. If you ever do any of those genetic things um, like 23andMe or Ancestry.com, you'll get, rand I have, get random emails from people saying, you know, our great-great-grandfathers were cousins or something. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's a, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so those kinds of things are fun. Um, 
my nieces found that my their mom, my sister, my brother's wife, had had a child um, that she put up for adoption that had she hadn't seen in fifty years, and so they found her. But that's an aside. Anyway, that was interesting through these ancestry things. That that stuff happens these days. Anyway, so we are all Dharma siblings. We're all this great big family. We're all interconnected, which we all are as just human beings. We're all interconnected, having to remember that. So, but we're all interconnected in this in this practice that we do, and um, uh, we are all these groups on the path and aware of the sacredness of it. Um, not just little groups. There are over. 463 million Buddhists in the world, at least that was the 2010 number, and that's 6% of the world's populations. Um, and I heard uh, one of the teachers say, you know, we are this Maha Sangha that I was talking about, it's us that are in the world today, all these spiritual ancestors, and also recognizing that we are future ancestors. You know, not necessarily biologically, but spiritual ancestors. So it's really important what we leave behind. It's really important how we show up in the world. Really important. Um, one of the talks the other day was by Larry Ward, who I really, really, really have come to love his teaching. He, um, I heard him first, really I heard him first about a year and a half ago in a talk on decolonizing the mind. Uh, and then he, he wrote a book called America's Racial Karma, which is really great. And he's a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, and he was empowered to teach by Thich Nhat Hanh, um, who is Vietnamese uh, Zen. And he, was, he talked the other day, and he gave a talk on a particular bodhisattva, um, bodhisattva I mentioned, or the, the beings who um, um, forego their, their nirvana, their, their liberation until all beings are liberated. And he gave a talk on the bodhisattva at ease in majestic virtue. There is a, a sutta, a Mahayana sutta, um, which is a, a different kind of lineage, uh, that is the Sutra of Complete Enlightenment. And it's from like, it's uh, probably Chinese origin from the 7th or 8th century, which is like almost a thousand, maybe... 800, 900 years after the time of the Buddha. So it was written then. So texts, some texts believe that more, the Buddha didn't die and more, he was, there were more texts being transmitted over the years. Um, so this lists all kinds of bodhisattvas and what Larry does, which I thought was a really fascinating practice, is he takes one of these teachings and spends a year just really diving into it. And uh, what he was realizing is that these, this, this one particular bodhisattva was really um, deeply imbued with the paramitas, which are these teachings, these, these, these practices of the heart. Um, they're qualities that we need to have in order to be enlightened. They are um, generosity, virtue, patience or tolerance, energy or diligence, um, collectedness of the mind, and um, wisdom. In, in his tradition, there are six of these. In my tradition, Theravada, there are ten, also including loving-kindness, um, energy, I can't remember, a couple others. 
Um, but there are these beautiful qualities that we are invited to investigate and make part of who we are as we move through the world, which is what we want to leave for our descendants if we are considering ourselves spiritual ancestors. These are qualities that we want to cultivate as we show up in the world. Generosity, which is an antidote to clinging, which is the one of the roots of suffering, craving. Um, integrity, living in a way that doesn't cause harm to others and ends suffering. Patience or tolerance. It's, we're only impatient if we're not getting what we want. So if we recognize getting what we want doesn't solve things, and we, can we take what's offered, whatever that is, letting go of what we think we need to have in order to be okay, that patience just arises on its own. That the cultivation of patience is also an antidote to craving or clinging or aversion. I hate this. Move faster. Me. Um, with patience, that kind of is, is, is um, dissolves. Energy, diligence, the willingness to do this practice, the willingness to see where we keep stumbling, to see where caught where we're caught up and entangled, and the willingness to let go. And then this practice brings this collectedness of mind, this steadiness, which which brings um, um, wisdom. And then the a couple of the other parameters that I remembered is, is loving kindness. So we have this heart of goodwill and loving kindness and compassion, which leads to equanimity, this balance, this ability to be with whatever shows up, this ability to be, um, to have an appropriate response to whatever we're faced with, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, whether we think it's good, quote unquote, or bad, whether however we judge it, we can just be equanimous, holding the emotions, holding the grief that may be there, holding the joy that's there. Because we have to recognize that um, this stuff happens and none of, it is none of it is personal. Can we take things impersonally? Can we, yeah, look at things impersonally. That thing, nothing is about getting us. It's just, it's the rise and fall of the experience that we have as human beings. It's the human condition. I talked about that um, a few weeks ago. Can we be wholly ourselves? And what being wholly ourselves is, wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, not wholly, H-O-L-Y. Um, when we are wholly ourselves, it's, it's, it's just being fully present, not holding on to anything, thinking we need something else. Because if we need something else, then we're incomplete. Or if we're pushing something away, then we're afraid that it will disrupt what we have. But if we can be wholly ourselves, we're not holding or clinging or pushing or pulling to anything. Um, Larry said this one thing. He said, there's nothing to fix. Because nothing is broken. All we have to do is transform from what is unwise and unskillful to let go of that conditioning that doesn't serve us. That conditioning that we believe we have to have 
all these things in order to be okay. That we, we live in a consumerist society. We have been raised on the belief that something else will make it better. And to recognize that that's not true. There's nothing to fix. This will fix you. Turn on the TV. I like game shows, and we watch the Game Show Network. Every single commercial is for some really weird drug, for some really weird disease you've never heard of. I went to a comedy club last night, and the comedian was actually talking about that and saying, you know, one of the, one of the side effects of this one drug was, you know, blindness and explosive diarrhea. He's like, it'll fix my, my, my bouncing leg, but I'll be blind and have explosive diarrhea. And it's like, all the commercials, that's all they are. And I mean, it's extraordinary, but it's worth that blindness if you get rid of this. And it's like this constant creation of, of need that is not necessary. There's nothing wrong. It doesn't need to be fixed internally those things that it's often that internal dialogue we have that not good enough on the outside looking in um and when we are faced with um grief and sadness and these experiences we can't help these conditioned experiences that have come throughout our our lives because of of messages we've re received about not being good enough or being unlovable being the wrong size or the wrong color or the wrong from the wrong place with the wrong language all those messages that we've internalized through the years um they are can be really painful internally and we sometimes get agitated or angry with ourselves really still letting go of that agitation or letting go of that judgment and recognizing that this is just going to arise and we're going to continue to work towards disentangling ourselves, seeing that conditioning and letting it dissolve. And Larry used a line that I, was, um, I thought was really powerful. When we are in the grip of emotions and things that may be unpleasant and that we don't like and we're trying to fix it or push it away or we get into this idea of shoulda, coulda, woulda, don't disrespect the human experience. Don't disrespect the experience you're having. Greet it like I offered in the meditation instructions. Bring curiosity and friendliness. What is this? If it's painful, can you be gentle and kind? You know? Recognize that there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be joy, and they can actually coexist doesn't have to be one or the other it can be whatever it is don't don't say it should or could or would you know you know let go of what we think it's supposed to be we see what we what we want to see and we see what we believe that's that silo and so to crack away at those silos those bubbles we live in um and, and one of the other things that he talked about, and he even quoted Martin Luther King, is that we have to recognize we are all part of the world. We're so enmeshed in I, me, my. We have this attachment to ego, whether we're aware of it or not. It's all about me, mine. And we have to recognize that we're part of the Mahasanga. We're part of the world. Uh, Martin Luther King's quote was, the first thing we have to do is establish a planetary view seeing the world from the 30,000 feet view. It's not just me. 
we are interconnected, so interconnected with each other. Going, um, I, w- I did a weekend, I did a weekend last weekend, or like a, a little retreat with Larry Ward and his wife and some other folks out of the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition about ancestors. I've been working with ancestor um, stuff for the last couple of years um, because I thought I never had any ancestors. I, I didn't know my, my, you know, it was my parents and then, then it was done. I didn't know my grandparents. They were dead a long time before. I, I didn't even know one set of grandparents' names. And so I got nothing. And people would talk about answers and I'm like, I got nothing. And, but I was in a lot of spaces where people were talking about that. And I said, okay, let me look into this. And I worked with a teacher and, and did some stuff and really recognized that there's blood ancestors. I do. It's like, the folks in Lithuania, the folks in Ireland, that's my ancestry. And what was going on when my ancestors got on a boat and came to the United States in 1896 or 1840? You know, all that stuff is in our genes. It, it, the trauma my ancestors experienced comes through my DNA. We have this river of experience that flows through us. So whether we're aware of it or not, we are connected to those who came before, the blood ancestors. And then we have the spirit, spiritual ancestors, the folks who've been practicing on this path for 2,600 years, or, you know, and those other people who inspire us. Those are our teachers. Those are the people who came before, who inspires you. So we are part of this huge community. Um, and going all the way to, you know, the the interconnectedness with the land, with the critters on the land, because we're all stardust. I looked it up. We are, because nearly all of the elements of the human body were made in a star and may have come through several supernovas. So we are absolutely interconnected at at some grand 30,000-foot level, 60,000-foot level, I heard a piece a number of years ago on NPR. There was a woman, she's, she's a photographer, and she's been pho- photographing the glaciers um, in um, the Arctic for many, many, many years. She started a long time before they started really melting at a, at a, at a rapid pace. And she's a Native American, and she was with her grandfather one time when she was a kid, they were in New York, and they were sitting in a field, and he pointed at the clouds and talked about, um, those are part of you. Because if you think about it, when we sweat, the moisture evaporates, there's condensation, there's rain. And she said when the first time she saw a glacier, she just ran up to it and, and was so connected to it, wondering which of her ancestors were part of that glacier because of this condensation that happens. And it was really beautiful um, so that we are connected. It's this, this false sense of ego that keeps us separate from others, this othering, because we're so afraid of I, me, and mine. And so we have to recognize that not just the Mahasanga that we're part of in the practice that we all belong to, but we're, we're, we're part of this larger sangha, and um, we have to clarify how this practice um, supports our relationship in the world um, and how we show up in the world uh, for the benefit of the world. And there was a lot of talk about that this week um, 
yesterday I was listening to a talk about, you know, uh, the environment and what's going on and um, how do we how do we live our lives to support what needs to happen, whatever it is, whatever it is, it can be little, it can be great. Um, how do we make this practice not just sit in books read the books and go, that's nice, and cross them off and read the next book and have scholarly discussions and write academic papers. That's good to be steeped in the teachings, but how do you take those teachings off the page and make them part of who you are as you move through the world? You know, I, I did the Eightfold Path recently and talking about how that becomes part Renunciation, what am, what am I suffering with? What would it be good for me to let go of so that I could move in a different direction? You know, the Eightfold Path contains the precepts. Oh, being wise with my speech. That renunciation of all those sarcastic things I want to say. Um, those harsh things I want to say to people. How do I show up wisely and kindly and not make other, not hurt others? It's, it's a way of life with, that takes integrity, you know? The Buddha did this, the Buddha taught this so that we would be free from um, the suffering we create ourselves, not free from the pain that comes from being a human being and, you know, breaking legs or losing loved ones. That just is. That's going to happen. There's no way around it. I am going to continue to get old until the day I die. And then I will stop getting old. I will be done. And then who knows where I'll end up with my stardust and my elements floating through the atmosphere. Um, so we have to really, this is, this is what's coming through for me this week, is this recognition that we are all in this together. This Maha Sangha, this great, this great, um, community of both Buddhist practitioners and human beings and critters and everything else that's on this planet. You know, um, we're, we are all interconnected and we have to treat each other with kindness and respect and make sure harm is not being done and, and work to end harm where it's being uh, caused. I'm not saying that we don't do that. That's just as important. Um, but finding our own way, um, finding our own way through this and finding those people that inspire you and that you can look up to as um, uh, teachers. You know, there's teachers everywhere. There's teachers everywhere. I have teachers in my life uh, who were not, um, were not Buddhists, but live away. I, John Lewis is one of my, when I read his memoir a number of years ago, Walking with the Wind, it blew my mind, blew my mind. Jane Goodall, who... I read her book when I was like maybe 14 or 15 when she, her book about living with the chimpanzees. I mean, it was like, it blew my mind. So the inspiration that these people offer, take it, you know, take it, make it part of you. All this stuff is freely offered. Um, so remember that you're not alone. You're never alone. We belong. We belong just because we are. There's nothing to fix. We're not broken. We just want to transform what's unwise and unskillful into what's wise and skillful. And we're doing it one day at a time um, as best we can. So thank you, my friends, for listening. Uh, as always, you're so generous.
Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.